All right, now we're in Matthew 7. We're cooking right along through the Sermon on the Mount. It's gone quickly. Uh, haven't meant for it to, but it just seems to me it's gone quickly because we're already in chapter 7. And so now, last time, we closed out chapter 6 with Jesus commanding his followers not to worry about their lives. How many of you were tempted this week to worry about your life? Okay, right. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. In other words, don't worry about the basic necessities because he's going to provide for you. That's the promise. And he told us not to worry because that releases us then to fully focus on the kingdom of God when we don't worry about things. Worry distracts you and takes you away from the things you really ought to be focused on. So that's how chapter 6 ended. Now, chapter 7, Jesus is going to switch gears a bit and go into this whole matter of not judging. Don't judge one another. And he first lays out the principle that in whatever way we judge, and I'm going to read the verse in just a minute, but whatever way we judge, we will ourselves also be judged. However we judge others is the way that we're going to be judged. Jesus said, let's read it together in chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Read it out loud with me. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, the first thing you walk away with there is that Jesus is really iterating the law of sowing and reaping that Paul gives us in Galatians. Whatever you, you sow is what you're going to reap. Paul wrote, don't be deceived, God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And don't we get deceived about that? We think if we sow this seed, we're going to reap that harvest. And so he said, don't be deceived. Because seeds can only reproduce after their own kind. So if you sow a tomato seed, you're going to get tomatoes, not oranges. Amen? Amen. So if you sow you know, uh, meanness, that's what you're going to get. But you're going to get back after its kind. And every day that we wake up, folks, we're sowers and reapers. We're reaping from the day before and we're sowing that day. And right now, where all of us are here tonight is primarily the result of how we have sown and how we have reaped. Right? So he says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow. That's what you're going to read. And in the same way, Jesus said, what, in whatever way you judge others is the way you're going to reap judgment. That's the way you're going to reap it. Now, let me, let me give you two ways that that works out. How does that work out in practicality? How, how do you see that manifested, that however I judge others is the way I will be judged? How does that work out? All right, first, either we are judged on the spot by our own hypocrisy, if we happen to be doing the very things we're judging someone else for doing. Right then and there, you're judged by anybody who knows you because you're judging others and you're doing the very same thing. You know, Paul talked about this in Romans 2, verse 1. He said, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. Uh Uh-oh. Boy, he nails you. Paul doesn't give you any slack, does he? 
So he says, you are inexcusable, oh man, oh woman, whoever you are. For in the same way you judge another, listen, here you are judging somebody else, but, but you do the same things. So you're inexcusable. How can you judge another when you're doing the same thing? So that's one way that in the, in the same way you judge others is the way you will be judged. If you're sitting there being mean on someone, but you have done the very thing you're getting on them for right on the spot, you're judged. Okay? Now, a second way, we reap judgment. In the same way we dish it out is when others are harsh and judgmental toward us down the road, having to remember how we were with them. Did we treat them with mercy? Did we treat them mean? Did we forgive? Did we hold a grudge? Were we impatient? Did we cut them slack? How do we treat them? Because have you ever noticed people tend to treat you the way you treated them? I mean, even a dog does that, right? If you love a dog, a dog will love you back. But if you're constantly mean to a dog, one day you reach out and rawr! People are the same way. It's hard to... So he's saying, listen, people don't tend to feel compassionate toward others who have not been compassionate and merciful themselves. Have you ever noticed that? I watch it all the time in the news with current events. You'll have some, some person in the news who was just known for being bad to people, mean to people, uh, you know, judgmental and cruel and uh, not being nice to them. And then they get into trouble and there is no one that comes running to defend them because it is known how they treated others. So it is a boomerang effect. How we treat others is the way we'll be treated. And if we're unfair with them and mean to them and unkind to them and and all of those negative things, that's the way they tend to come back to you. And so, especially in your own household, boy, what you sow, you reap. Amen? And, and you learn, well, you know, how do I want to be treated six months from now with the members of my own home Then I need to treat them this way? It's that way at work. It's that way at church. If your measure, Jesus said, with the measure you give is the measure you're going to receive, with the measure you use is the measure that's going to be given back to you. If your measure is to be unforgiving, unmerciful, and unloving, this is the way people will be inclined to treat you as well. If you measure, if your measure is to show mercy, to forgive, to be patient, and to believe the best of another person, this is generally the measuring stick that will be used by others toward you. My elders, especially one of them, <clears throat> gets on to me regularly. Pastor, you're too merciful. You need to be tougher, he, he says to me. You need to be tougher. You're, you're too merciful. You, you cut people too much slack. You're always putting yourself out there, and, and sometimes they turn around and bite you in, in the hand, the hand's trying to feed them and bless them. Why, why are you so merciful? Why can't you be, just be a little bit tougher? I said, because I need mercy so bad. I need mercy so bad. And, uh, you know, if people don't, don't respond the way I hope they do, uh, that's fine because I know somebody watched who is able to bless me down the road whether or not a person does, okay? I try to be merciful. I, I, I have a soft heart. I do. And it's getting worse with age, okay? It is. It's getting worse with age. And I, I just, I empathize with people. I, 
I empathize with everything I see that's hurting. I empathize with it. So pray for me that I'll be tougher. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Jesus is really saying this when he says, don't judge. Here's what he's saying. Don't judge out of wrong, harsh, or unloving motives. That's what he's saying. The Jews of Jesus' day were the worst at this. Since they were the chosen of God and had themselves been the recipients of the commandments of God and of God's laws, God had dealt with them, visited them, manifested himself to them through Moses and Abraham and the rest, the prophets. They had developed a very condescending, superior, judgmental attitude toward others, especially toward us, the Gentiles. I mean, back in those days, a Jew, they could get drowned in a rainstorm because their nose is always up in the air. When they walked in, snooty, condescending, looking down on you, you know, sort of harumph. You're not the chosen of God. We don't even want to have anything to do with you. What are you doing, Jesus, talking to a Samaritan woman? That kind of thing. Jesus just nailed it. And I believe he was looking, had one eye looking right at the Jews that were listening to him, said, listen, judge not. Now, I think there are, there are four ways we can judge wrongly that Jesus was aiming at here. Let me tell you the four ways you can get it wrong because we're going to judge. And I'm going to show you in a little bit, we're supposed to judge. If you want to live, you have to judge. But I'm going to show you the four wrong ways we can do it first. Okay? First, don't judge hastily. Don't judge hastily. We do wrong when we judge somebody before we've got all the facts. How many of you can say, man, there have been, a t- there have been times in my life when I got judged before somebody bothered to find out the other side? Amen. Come on, let me see your hands. It hurts, doesn't it? Amen. There's not a thing you can do about it. If somebody goes out and judges you and tell stories about you, and, and they form their judgment based on hearing only one side of an event or a story or what really came down, then that's wrong judgment. The Bible says, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. That's Proverbs 18, 13. You didn't know that was there, did you? And that's the, I think that's the living Bible. We should always seek to get both sides of an issue before passing a judgment. And you know what, church? There is always another side. Can you say with me, there's always another side? Have you noticed that? There is always another side. And so somebody comes up to you and says, have you heard about so-and-so and so-and-so, what they did, what he did, what she did, and how they handled this, that, and the other? All right, you're getting one side. Then the Bible says, now go out and find out and investigate the other side so that you can make a righteous judgment. But no, judging hastily is one of the ways that we get it wrong. Now, I'll give you a second kind of wrong judgment. is when we judge with a wrong standard. Condemning something the Bible doesn't condemn. Now, let me tell you something about the way we're supposed to judge. Our only true and unfailing standard for judging something is the Bible. The Bible is the ultimate arbiter of all truth. Can you say that with me? The Bible is the ultimate arbiter of all truth. 
It's not what you think about something or I think about something, what I feel or you feel, what it looks like to me or to us. It's what does the Bible say? And, and that's what we judge with. And this is where the church has gotten in trouble throughout history, and I think sometimes today uh, gets in trouble, with the society in which it lives, it's full of lost people. If the church decides to judge something wrong out of its own opinion, out of its, uh, the way something looks to the church, but it doesn't come out of the Bible, it comes back to bite us when the Bible clearly doesn't agree with what we have called wrong or what we have judged something to be. We need to be sure that it's in the Bible. We need to be sure we know the Word. Because the Word is the judge, not us. I mean, I, I, I teach the book. I preach the book. I read the book every day. Uh, I feed on the book. But when I judge something, I try to find what Scripture says about it. What does the Bible say about it? And then when I know what the Bible says about it, I know I'm standing on solid ground. And I can pass a judgment that is righteous and not my own opinion. For instance, let me give you, for instance, eating. Everybody say eating. I like it. I'm, I'm going uh, to Cracker Barrel as soon as this is over, and I'm going to eat. Okay? We like to eat, don't we? But eating is a big point of contention with some believers. You know how? Because there are those who believe you ought to observe a kosher diet. And, and that means the, the Levitical diet that the Old Testament folks live by, that God gave the Old Testament people. And so the people who today believe you ought to observe a kosher diet won't eat pork. It's a sad thing to watch. They won't touch bacon. They won't eat bacon. Uh, it, it's sad. And I say, you know what? If that's your conviction, cool, fine. If you want to suffer, suffer, okay? But, but here's the deal. Have you ever gone out to eat with somebody who wants to observe the kosher diet and, and they're all zealous about it and you go to order something that's not kosher and you got those eyes looking at you and before you know it, they're telling you how that's going to give you cancer and kill you before your time. But they shouldn't, listen, they, they, they can give an opinion. That's, that's fine. Hey, everybody's got an opinion. But they can't and shouldn't judge others for not doing so because the New Testament clearly says, let me read it, 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 5, Paul writes, since everything God created is good. I think we ought to say that together, can we? Everything God created is good. Now, there are, some, there are some things you can eat that will get you to meet Jesus sooner. That's true. But here's what he's saying. Everything God created is good. And look what he says. We should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. Then verse 5, for we know it is made acceptable by the word of God in prayer. Did you hear that? It's made acceptable by the word of God in prayer. There you go. So if you want to observe a kosher diet, you go for it. God bless you. Hey, Godspeed. But you shouldn't judge someone who doesn't do so because the Bible's not with you in that. That's just an example. And there's a million examples we could come up with. And, and Christians judge all the time uh, for things that really they can't point to the Bible and say, 
The Bible condemns this. The Bible forbids this. It's just a matter of opinion. And uh, we can't do that. So that, that's the wrong kind of judgment. So it behooves us to stop before we judge and, and, and just be sure it's biblical. Now, here's a third way that we can wrongly judge, and that is in our attitude. Because you can be right in the judgment, but wrong in your spirit. We can judge somebody in love, which the Bible commands, or we can judge unmercifully with meanness, with rejection, in a belittling, cruel way, and that's wrong. Even if you're right, that's wrong. It's not just being right theologically, but it's also being right in our spirit when we judge someone else. When Jesus' disciples one day, they, they, they were going to go into a town, and the town didn't receive him. So a couple of the disciples piped up and said, Lord, Lord. They were thinking of Elijah, no doubt about it, and Elijah calling fire down out of heaven. And so they were just feeling their Cheerios here, and they said, Lord, should we call fire out of heaven and consume them? How many of you wish that you could do that every once in a while? All right. Leave a little ash pile. Oops. Well, now, thank God he didn't give us that power. But I want you to look at what Jesus responded with. Jesus said to them, you know not what spirit you are of. What he was telling them is, you're not reflecting my heart towards those people. But Lord, they rejected you. Okay, they rejected me. But I don't want to call fire out of heaven and consume them because down the road, once I've been crucified and resurrected, some of these folks are going to end up repenting and being saved. So don't be so mean that you want to turn somebody into an ash pile. He said, he said you don't know what spirit you're of. And you know what, folks? I think a lot of the time we're right about something, but we don't know what spirit we're of. You can be right and still be wrong. The Bible says, for instance, to a dad, the Bible says to a dad, don't discipline your children to the level that you embitter them. You, you can try to teach them, but if you don't discipline in love, you're going to embitter them. And if you embitter them, you lose them. And, and so you, you can be right in what you say. There's so many things going on in our culture right now that are definitely, no doubt about it, wrong. But if the church, and I believe the church ought to address it, and I do address it, we do address it, but you got to be sure you remember from whence you have come because one day you were wrong too. And God saved you in his mercy. So it says, let all that you do be done in love. So you got to be sure when you judge that your spirit is right and not just your facts. Amen? How many of you have ever been judged? And they were right, but boy, their spirit was just scalped you, right? And you can't receive their rightness if they give it to you in a wrong spirit. So we need to stop and and check out our spirits before we judge. Are we in the flesh? Are we overly angry? Have we jumped to conclusions? Are we reflecting the character of God? 
Jesus judged people in the Bible all the time. This, this foolishness that Jesus never judged is insane. That comes from people who never read the Bible. J- Jesus judged all the time. But you'll notice it was always measured, never out of control, and was always focused on the thing that was wrong without belittling the one who did the wrong. Okay? Now, a last way that we can judge wrongly is hypocritically hypocritically. And and I think that this is Jesus' main thrust in judge not lest you be judged. He's he's talking about hypocritical judging. Look what he says. Jesus has a sense of humor here. He says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Amen. You got this guy, he's got a two by four in his eye. Let me operate on your eye. He can't even see, right? So I really do believe Jesus has got a little bit of a grin on his face when he's saying this. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you, when you yourself have something much worse in your own life? And then he says, hypocrite. Boy, I can't believe Jesus said that. Did he not understand? You can't talk to people that way. (laughs) He shouldn't call people names like that. That wasn't very politically correct of him, was it? All right, first get rid, he says, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And your friend will appreciate that too. Now you got two people here. You got one who is judged and the other who is the judger. The one being judged has a speck in their eye. In other words, there's something that needs to be taken out of their eye. But folks, clearly it's not major. It's not a major thing. It's not blinding them, the speck. It's just irritating them. Like you get something in your eye and you got to rub it. That's all that was in their eye. But then you've got the judger who, who sees the speck in the other person's eye and they make a huge deal out of it. In fact, so big a deal that he wants to personally remove the speck instead of letting the poor person do it themselves. And so they're meddling. They got this big problem in their own life, but they got, they're focused on the speck in their brother's eye. And they're saying, you know, I'm not even going to give you time to work on it. I'm going to go for it, and I'm going to fix you. Let me tell you where that will not work, marriage. (laughs) Right, Kathy? It will not work. Because if you go into marriage thinking, well, you know, this person I'm marrying has all these faults, but I'm going to fix them, you're in trouble. I'm going to give that thing six months before it blows like a volcano. All right? So Jesus says there's a problem. The one wanting to operate has not a speck in their own eye, but it's a log, a two-by-four. In other words, what they have in their own eye is so large that it totally disqualifies them from even being able to see the speck in their brother's eye, much less operate on their eyeball. Okay? Jesus says, you hypocrite. 
First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you're going to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, the application is clear, and it's all about hypocrisy. We must be certain that our own lives are right with God, that we ourselves have experienced His healing and His deliverance. Because you know what? You can't give somebody what you don't have. If, if you've been healed, you can heal. Healed people heal people. And delivered people deliver people. But guess what? Bound people bind people. So he's saying, you be sure that your eye is clear before you go meddling with other people's stuff. Before you go, because here's the deal. If you get up and you denounce what they're doing, but there's a log in your own eye, you know, you know what's really bad? When the log in your eye comes out later and everybody sees it and everybody's looking at you saying, what were you doing judging them when you dot, 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 dot. Everybody get it? So don't judge hypocritically. Now, let me just be very, very clear now. The flip side of this is Jesus never told us not to judge. He just said, don't judge wrongly. I want you to say that with me because some of you are terrified of judging because of political correctness. Are you ready? Say it with me. Jesus never said not to judge. In fact, he told me to judge. I'm going to show it to you, John 7, 24. Jesus said, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Now, is Jesus there telling us to judge or not? Is he? Is he telling us to never judge in that verse? No, he's just saying don't judge wrongly. Don't judge by appearances. Don't look at somebody and say, well, they must be this, that, or the other when you don't know them. But conversely, judge correctly. So we are to judge. Now, let me talk about our society, which drives me nuts about once a day. Okay. We're in a politically correct atmosphere, which is terrible bondage. Uh, and, and one of the watchwords of the politically correct is the word tolerance. Um, in our society of so-called tolerance, we hear all the time from people living in sin that we have no right to judge them. Don't judge me. How many of you have ever heard that or had it said to you? All right. Now, the godless culture of America, and folks, it is godless now. Our culture has gone into a place I never thought I'd see, and it is godless. It's ungodly. It's depraved, and it's getting darker. Thank God that grace is going to abound all, all the more. But the godless culture of America with its fraudulent political correctness has very successfully muzzled much of the church from ever calling anything sin because that means you're judging. And Jesus said, don't judge. We even hear more and more of the claim that not only should we not judge, but Jesus never judged anybody. He just loved and accepted them. We're given this sloppy agape kind of mushy, sentimental thing. Jesus just walked around just hugging everybody. And people who think that have never read the New Testament. Do you remember the day Jesus fashioned a whip, a cat of nine tails, and went into the temple and started swinging it? 
at those who were defiling God's temple. They fled from the gentle Jesus with a whip. Like I said, a lot of churches in our day wouldn't let Jesus in if he appeared. They wouldn't let him in. No, you're not the Jesus we know. I want the Bible Jesus, not a made-up Jesus. Amen? Now, so, so we hear Jesus never judged people. He just loved them all the time, and that's the way we ought to be, and we ought to accept everybody, and, and, and by implication, we ought to accept what they do and never judge anyone. And then they immediately quote Matthew 7, verse 1, that we're teaching tonight to back up their claim. Judge not it says that you be not judged, and that's probably the only Bible verse they know. And I'm going to tell you, church, no Bible verse has been perverted and twisted like this one. To teach that when someone calls the actions of another person sinful or wrong, and also says to them, if you keep doing this, it's going to destroy you, the person who says that is doing what Jesus said not to do. That's the lie. Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not. I mean, I've heard news commentators say it. I've heard people on CNN and MSNBC and all the, I've heard uh, politicians say it. I've had people say it to me. Don't judge me. Uh, Your own Bible says, Jesus said, don't judge. And boy, they love that verse. I said, when did you start studying the Bible? This tactic is a lost culture's way of muzzling the church from standing on Bible truth, Bible morality, and from ever being able to confront the culture with the claims of Christ. What are we called to do? All right, I'm going to tell you what we're called to do. Confront the culture with the claims of Christ. We're not supposed to be over here in a church bubble on a hill on Garden Acres, tucked away in a little bubble our little bubble, there's us, there's them, and there's no bridge between us and them. No, we're to be building bridges all the time from this building to them and lovingly confront them with the claims of Christ. But you can't do that if you're going to listen to this foolishness of you can't judge. If we take the view that judging is completely and totally forbidden, then that would make the doctrinal and moral purity of the church impossible to maintain. Because how can we ever say to somebody, you can't live this way if we can't judge? Come on, everybody. The Bible tells me as a pastor, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. All right, how can I reprove or rebuke? How can we, how can you, if we can't judge what somebody is doing is wrong? We're just supposed to love them and hug them and say, you just go right ahead and kill yourself. Go to hell. I'll just love you all the way there. Okay? That's stupid. You know what it would do? This would totally neuter our ability to preach the gospel because the opening salvo of a gospel message is that we human beings are in sin and are lost and need to repent. But if we can't say this is sin and that is sin, if we can't judge something as being sinful, how can we tell them to repent? What is there to repent of if nothing is wrong? 
If we were to decide not to judge, like we're told by politically correct people, how can we correct our children or dismiss an employee or decide who to vote for based on biblical standards? How can we uphold the law, have court, punish criminals, protect ourselves from a dangerous enemy? How can we do it if we can't judge? We are to judge. You have to judge. You have to judge. And it's not a sin if you judge, only if you do it wrongly. I've told you this story before, and I know, just bear with me. It's one of the best examples I know of. You know that I feed birds all the time. I, look, I have bird feeders out back, and I, every morning, first thing I do, uh, I get my little coffee outside and my Bible, and right before I get into the Word, I fill the bird feeder so that they'll come and make themselves at home while I'm with God. I just like it. I just, I just like it. It's just me. Now, I've noticed those birds are smart. Have you ever noticed they're always like this? I don't know how they eat. I don't know how they have any peace. I don't know how they're not dizzy. Because they're always, you know what they're doing? They're watching for a hawk. And when they see a hawk, they don't say to each other, should we judge? I don't think we ought to judge. I don't think that he's really as bad as we think. I think we need to reconsider this. I'm not so sure that that hawk is everything we've been told. And you know what? If that's what they did while they were talking, they would become his breakfast. When they see a hawk, all together, it's like they communicate, hawk! And they're gone. I mean, they fly in a hundred different directions, and that hawk lands, and there is nothing there. They have more sense than politically correct people. The American culture has now fully embraced the mantra of not judging because it's just not cool or right to do so. If you're really hip, you're good with anything someone does because if you judge them, if you dare to judge them, you're a bigot or a homophobe or an extremist, so on and so forth, all kinds of wonderful names you'll be called. So when this former athlete walked out onto a stage at an award show a few weeks ago, don't say, just let me, let me talk a second, dressed like a woman, saying that he had discovered himself. Although every gene in his body is masculine, I read that a reporter who was there who was not sympathetic with what he was doing, I read how this reporter felt such incredible pressure to clap. Because if he hadn't clapped, he'd have been called a bigot. That's political correctness. What happened to freedom of speech? What happened to having your own opinion? Listen, Having a moral conviction doesn't make me a hater. But this is what has happened with us now. So that, so that if you disagree with all this stuff going on in our culture, you are really judged. Listen, Christians aren't the only ones seeing the folly of this politically correct mumbo-jumbo of not judging. 
I found a couple of quotes from people who don't walk with Christ at all, as far as I know. Comedian, uh, comedian Adam Carolla, as far as I know, not known for being a Christian, nails it when he says, this is a quote from him. He said, why is it so evolved not to judge? This notion that we've evolved into a species that's incapable of judging other groups and what they are doing, especially when it's beheading people or setting people on fire or throwing acid in the face of schoolgirls. Then he says, I like that kind of judging. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, what has happened to us that we can see a clear and present danger, but we can't call it what it is because we'd be judging. Remember that hawk? If I can't call a hawk a hawk, if I'm a bird, I'm dead. If something's coming to destroy me, destroy my country, I ought to be able to call it what it is and defend myself. But... but. That's where we get the judge not wrong. Well, you can't do that because it says judge not. Oh, no, it does not say that. He didn't say that at all. Corolla added that the U.S. crushing Hitler in World War II was a good thing that would not have been possible now because Bill Maher would be screaming about tolerance. I don't think we would face Hitler today. I don't think we would do anything about the Nazi aggression if it were today because we have something very similar and we're not doing anything about it. Here's another secular person, acclaimed Welsh actor John Rise Davies, I'm assuming. He was in Raiders of the Lost Ark, other famous movies. He's quoted as saying this, quote, this is a unique age. We don't want to be judgmental. Every other age that's come before us has believed exactly the opposite. I mean, I'm still quoting him. I mean, T.S. Eliot referred to the common pursuit of true judgment. End quote. Yes, says Davies. That's what it's about. Getting our judgments right. Getting them accurate. And then he closes by saying this, we've lost our moral compass completely. And unless we find it, we're going to lose our civilization. End quote. Remember I told you, I hate political. If you're here much listening to my preaching, you know that I defy political correctness on purpose. I defy it because here's what it is. Political correctness is like a sumo wrestler. It's like a philosophical sumo wrestler that throws you to the ground, pushes your face against the mat, sits on top of you, and says, silence. And if you judge, I'm coming after you. I'm not going to be bullied by a false theological, philosophical position that leaves us as open season for the hawk. And, and, and I believe the hawk ultimately, the hawk ultimately is the devil. See, we're called to be the ground and pillar of the truth as the church. Well, how can I be the ground and pillar of the truth and share the truth when the truth judges sin? If I'm going to go along with this judge not. So I want to close with this. How do we respond? 
How do you respond? How do I respond to the ever-present pressure of the thought police who seem to be lurking in every corner, ready to pounce, should you dare to judge what is clearly sinful, wrong, destructive behavior? How how are we going to deal with it? Do we stay in our little bubble and let the world just go out there and and, uh, self-destruct? How are we going to confront the culture and this PC madness? I'm going to make it real simple. You take a stand. Can everybody say with me, you take a stand? Everybody in here can take a stand. You just put down your foot and you say, I'm not going to go there. I am not going to honor political correctness. I'm not going to honor this whole notion that I can't judge. And if I've got an opinion uh, that is based in the scriptures, my conviction comes from the word of God that something is wrong or something is right, that I'm going to say it no matter what political correctness requires of me. All right? Let's stand together today, can we? And here's my resolve, and you're in this church, and, you know, if you don't like this resolve, there's plenty of churches out there that won't even talk about sin anymore. You can go find one. God bless you. Well, I can't say that. God speak to you. But here's our resolve, and and I know you feel this in your heart, because aren't you as sick of all this foolishness as I am? Seriously. Really. So say with me, if I judge, it doesn't mean I'm not loving. Rather, it means I love enough to tell the truth. Here's my resolve. It's to stand on biblical truth in love without apology. If God says something's wrong, let God be true and every man a liar. And if God says something's right, then it is irrefutably right. So this is the resolve of our church as we confront the culture with the claims of Christ. And how else are they going to be saved unless you tell the truth? I remember when I was sitting in juvenile homes, a 16-year-old, hair down to here, scared to death, lost as a goose in a hailstorm, raised in paganism, knew nothing about Jesus, and that preacher came. I'm so thankful he told us the truth. He pointed his long Baptist finger in my face and said, you're going to hell. He says, you're going to go in front of a judge who knows just a little bit about what you've done. And I knew that was true. He said, but you're going to one day go to a judge who knows everything you've done. And I went, I repent, I repent, I repent. Well, see, if he had just said, hey, let me just hug you, it's okay. Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry, be happy, see you next week. I'd gone to prison. Let's thank the Lord. Father, we thank you right now. 